This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I do want to mention, you might want to give me a call. The number to call from anywhere in the country is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. And you might want to call about your love life uh, now, because right now on the program, I have joining me on the line from Winnipeg. She is Manitoba Woman Entrepreneur of the Year finalist. Leanne Tregobov is a matchmaker. She is an intuitive matchmaker, and she has lots of great advice for you, including how to undo the damage done online. And I just got an email that said, Maureen, I can't get no, shall I sing this? I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no online action. Love. Oh no, not love. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> of course, Rod is his name. Um, that's too bad, Rod. But uh, Leanne might be able to help you undo the damage done online. Good evening, Leanne. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. Hope all is well in Manitoba. Uh, Now, as you can see, um, you know, already getting some emails about the challenges that people face online. Now, you fix up people at at any age, but you have a particular focus on people in their 50s to 70s, a, a time when a lot of people think that, well, romance is over. Actually, we always say love has no expiration date. I actually work with men starting at 28 and women a little younger, and I've married off a 91-year-old man. Oh, that's fantastic. How old was his wife? She was in her 70s, believe Uh it or not, that rascal. And he died with a smile on his face, and she came back to meet the next one. Oh, nice, nice. With a lot of cash? No, I'm kidding. Okay, so you say that uh, in your in your um, on your website and and uh, with in my chats with you, I uh, of Camelot Introductions. That's your company. You say that online dating is not necessarily the healthiest or the best way to meet somebody. It's actually the scariest way that I can think of. Um, you never know online who you are meeting, if what they are saying to you is actually factual, if they are safe to be around, and what their motives are. Very often, they could have a spouse at home. Um, They could be dating and sleeping with multiple people. And it's, it's a scary, scary thing. Predators are far smarter than the unsuspecting people. And With me at Camelot Introductions, I meet each and every one of my clients face-to-face. We do a criminal record check, and people are putting their money where their mouth is. They're not hiding behind a computer screen. They're serious, and they are paying for a service that is going to get them the results they're looking for, which is love. And oftentimes people who are looking for love, you know, have a vulnerable side, or they're they're a little bit on the on the vulnerable side. And so that makes them a little bit more um, sensitive, perhaps, or, uh, you know, they can feel quite badly about themselves because they may feel as though they're being stamped as somebody who is accepted or rejected. Those are my words exactly. Online dating, which we are not, we're the real deal, um, 
it, online dating is like going through an assembly line, being stamped, accepted, or rejected. But they don't even need to exert the effort to stamp. They just press delete or they swipe on to the next one. When you're working with a good matchmaker, a matchmaker breaks patterns, breaks habits. If people are accustomed to picking someone similar to their dad or similar to their mom, and when you go to a matchmaker, those habits are often broken. Women have a tendency to pick narcissistic men because they're oh so charming. They can sweep you off your feet. Again, working with a good matchmaker, that would be recognized right away, and you wouldn't be matched with that type of person. I've had clients say to me, what are you thinking? He is the farthest thing from who I would be looking for. And then a few months later, Oh, I'm so glad I trusted you. We are so in love. And you have a keen intuition. I do. In terms of dealing with matchmaking. You've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this for 25 years, turning single people into happily matched couples. And I am gifted. We call it my spidey senses. And it's pretty amazing. I, anyone who knows me well will often ask, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And if I'm tuned right in, I can predict exactly what's going to happen. And it works very, very well with what I do because it allows me to say, aha, you and you would be perfect. And they ride off into the sunset. And we're going to be hearing from a client of yours. We're going to uh, thank you for in advance for staying on uh, through the break. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. We're talking about matchmating, meeting the love of your life. Leanne Tregobov joins me of Camelot Introductions. And right now, her one of her clients is on the line. She's going to share her story about love and meeting and finding the right person through a matchmaker. Hello, Claire. Hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. Thanks for joining me. I know it's late back there. That's okay. Claire's actually in Saskatoon. Oh. I service Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and she has a magical Saskatchewan love story. Oh, fantastic. Let's hear it, Claire. Okay. Um, I've been widowed for 10 years, and... uh, I haven't dated a lot, but my experience in the dating world wasn't that positive. Um, I found the internet dating quite traumatizing. Um, And recently, um, I met a wonderful guy through Leanne, and he's just a perfect match in every way. And I'm smitten. Isn't that nice? Did you, was it love at first sight? Pretty much for, yeah, pretty much. Wonderful. And how long have you been together now? Uh, not too long, but it's, uh, it feels like it's been forever. Wow. And what do you think is the advantage of having a matchmaker? Oh, definitely um, the safety issue, the no mind games. Um, when someone goes to see Leanne, they're serious about finding love. They don't want all the drama and uh, you know the mind games right and, uh, it, they're definitely in there for, oh 
well, Claire, the same reason, and it was a great experience. Isn't that great? Well, Claire, thank you so much for sharing your story, especially this late at night. I have Catherine on the line from Surrey, British Columbia. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm doing good. Great. How are you? Fine, thank you. <laughs> I, I had a question. Do people, persons... Do they tend to have more successful relationships with other people, persons? Um, I'm not really sure I understand the question. <laughs> As opposed to themselves? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no. Right? No. Like, the best relationship we have is the one with ourselves. Let me just... Yeah, yeah. No, no. If we, if we engage with another person that's a people person, do, do oh, those do, relationships do people, tend to be more successful? So if you're with a people person versus, yeah. versus somebody who's an introvert or somebody who isn't yeah. going to be somebody the... Somebody that's bubbly and yippity-doo-dah, right? And right. That's always happy, well, mainly happy that they just want to be happy around happy people. <laughs> yes. You know what? I actually, yeah. this is my own personal and I'm not the matchmaker, but I'm going to let Leanne answer that. I just think it's a heck of a lot easier to be with a happy person. <laughs> I think miserable people are miserable and it's really hard to be in a relationship with a miserable person. But Leanne, can you weigh in on that uh, for me, please? Leanne is a matchmaker. There's all sorts of personalities that are compatible and actually, believe it or not, Science has isolated the DNA for chemical compatibility. It's called the human leukocyte antigen. So there are so many factors when it comes to compatibility. You can't, if there are two people who like to steal the show, they're going to forever be competing. If it's a nice balance where one may be a little more introverted, the other one may be a little more extroverted, that might be a really good balance there. So it depends on all the factors and who the individuals are and how they relate and respect one another. What do you think, Leanne, about um, being mentally and physically fit? Mentally and physically fit are two of the greatest requests that people have. They want people to be complete. They want people to be comfortable with themselves. And being physically fit is people are more likely to be healthier, both mentally and physically. And people want relationships with people who take care of themselves in every way. And and I think uh, you have a better chance of being mentally fit if you're physically fit with the serotonin levels. And and then if you're sexually active, too, the release of dopamine uh, is also beneficial. But um, also, I I had a... a I had a situation recently where I was having a business meeting. I'm a multitasker extraordinaire. So I had a business meeting from like six to eight. It was a dinner. But then my friend was having her birthday party and I decided to make the dinner reservation for the business meeting at the same place where the birthday party was being held. Uh, so I wouldn't miss out on the party too much. <laughs> as I mentioned, a bit of a party girl. So as I'm walking into the restaurant with the, my colleague from another part of the country, uh, my friend whose birthday it was, who is a, she's a 
social smoker, let's say. And so, and so the colleague that I was with, I guess she found him attractive because she blurted that out basically. But she said to me, um, she said, oh my gosh, who is this? And you're bringing him to my party? And, and, um, and she said, and you didn't even tell me. And here I am. She said, I'm a non-smoking single person. And uh, that was very, as she was smoking her cigarette <laughs> after having had a few drinks. Um, <laughs> but what, what about smoking on online? I knew as soon as she said that, and she's been on online dating, I knew that that's not too, that's probably something she hides online. Well, at my company, Camelot Introductions, we don't accept smokers as clients. And not that it affects my life in any way, shape, or form if someone smokes, but what it does affect is their chance of success with a matchmaker. I have had, we stopped taking smokers over 10 years ago because the people who were not being matched were the smokers. I would have smokers say to me, and it's reverse discrimination, they would say, no, I won't date a smoker because I really want to quit, and if they smoke, I'll never quit. So we just came to an ethical decision and decided enough is enough. We know that it's very, very difficult to match a smoker, so we just decline smokers' applications. So even with a smoker, they don't, they don't want to be with, one smoker doesn't want to be with another smoker. Correct. Wow. They don't like it either. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that. How about, uh, since there's a tremendous amount of people with herpes, how about something like, a? Um, do you match people? And there are dating sites where they're, uh, you know, I, I've sent patients to herpes dating sites. And so do you, how do you deal with that as a Absolutely. Matchmaker? One in, between one in four and one in five people have genital herpes. 20% mm-hmm. have it and know it. 80% have it and don't know it. So what we do is anybody that I'm interviewing, I let them know the, the stats and ask them if we know that somebody has genital herpes and they're taking precautions to make transmission highly unlikely or far less likely, are they accepting of it, yes or no? And I can tell you that the majority of people, I work with educated people, the majority of people are absolutely accepting of it because then um, the chances of it being transmitted through oral genital contact are drastically reduced and because people would be taking suppressive medication. And it's just something people will say, well, I get cold sores, so what does it matter in what location? And typically they're quite accepting. Yes, we definitely have the herpophobes, but... Wait a minute. Does somebody People say, I get um, oral herpes, so what does it matter? Where? Many people will. They, wow. they say, how could I judge? Because if someone carries the herpes virus orally and they're participating in oral genital sex, they certainly could be shedding the virus orally and then it would manifest itself. Of course. Genitally. But they're not saying, oh, well, whether I have it orally or genitally, what's the big deal? It doesn't matter where I have the lesions. The smart ones? Absolutely. They're saying that. Absolutely. So they are putting themselves at risk for getting genital herpes because they're... They're actually, when we think about it, though, they're far more at risk being with someone that is shedding asymptomatically and is not taking suppressive medication Mm -hmm. than they are with someone who has it, knows it, and is doing everything in their power not to transmit it by taking the suppressive therapy. Right. I'm I'm just a little bit surprised at the that they 
deal. The what, well, no, what's the big deal? What, it doesn't matter if I have it on my lips or I have it on my penis or my vagina. I'm, I'm just no, surprised at that. Are, people, when they stop and think, they think, well, I don't want to be shunned because I get cold sores. Mm-hmm. So how would I shun someone else if they are having the virus? It can be the same. It can be the cold sore virus. Oh, yeah. We're finding HSV-1 genitally now, yes. Exactly. mm -hmm. So most people, they know that the suppressive therapy is available, Mm -hmm. and most people are quite comfortable with it. It's not as big of a deal. There are way worse things out there. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. It can be managed for sure. Yeah, no, and a lot of people feel so, you know, people with herpes, they feel like their dating life is over. So it's it's definitely not over. And that's not what I'm um, intimating. I was just surprised that people were like, well, I get oral herpes. Oh, well, I get genital. Genital's a whole lot worse (laughs) than oral herpes. Um, that, that was, that was, but I think you're saying people aren't judging other people. So a lot of people aren't. Definitely there are those who will say absolutely no way. Yeah. And then there's the people who understand because we explain the statistics and a lot of them are very accepting of it. Right. Um, so what would you say for somebody out there who's looking for love, especially on the holidays, what is your best piece of advice uh, for them? Love Th- yourself first. Put yourself out there and be reasonable. Your checklist has to be negotiable. You must be patient because we can't hurry love. And make sure that you are flexible. Yes, you may want him to be six foot one. You may want him to have dark hair. He may end up being five foot nine with blonde hair. But all of that doesn't matter when it's the right connection. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And I think uh, you make a great point when you say, love yourself first. And that's not easy for a lot of people. So we may have to have you back, Leanne, and uh, talk a little bit uh, more about that, how people can learn to love themselves. Leanne Travota of Camelot Introductions, thank you so much. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? People can certainly look at my website at camelotintroductions.com, but we are a very personalized service where if they call at 204-888-1529, someone often will pick up the phone and be right there to answer questions. That's so great. Leanne, thank you so much. It was a great conversation, great information. Really appreciate it. And we'll definitely have you back. Hopefully those kids are in bed. Those children, those children that you have raised, that you have dedicated your life to, that you have made sacrifices to, All of a sudden, don't speak to you. Family estrangement. It is something that is little talked about. It's emotional distancing. It's a cessation of communication. It is a cold war. And it's defined in many ways because it's so prevalent and so difficult to talk about and has such stigma associated with it. What parent wouldn't talk to their child? Some have labeled it a silent epidemic. And it's very poorly understood. It may not be permanent, long-lasting, or even mean a total lack of contact, but it is the breakdown of a supportive relationship between family members, and it is something that is heartbreaking for those involved. I've seen some patients in my clinical practice of late who 
have not had contact with their children or grandchildren for a number of years. And the saddest thing about this is that none of them know why, but denial can be a drug for sure. And so they may not have the insight to look in. It's really hard for human beings to look and say, you know, the mistakes that we made. But as as people become adults, it's a much more challenging situation to contend with. So unless the all of the adults, the children and their parents, and even sometimes grandparents are involved, and when grandchildren are involved, it's double the heartbreak. But it's hard unless the parties involved want to actually change it and resolve this. So joining me on the line is Allison Jones. She is um, the, a psychologist who deals very much with patients and families who are going through family estrangement. Uh, she's also author of the book More. Uh, she lives by and de- uh, teaches the More philosophy. That's movement, opportunity, reality, and expectation. Hello, Allison. Thanks for joining me. I'm pleased to do so. Oh, it's great. This is a very tough subject, and the patients that I've seen with it are absolutely heartbroken. And none of them know why their children have stopped talking to them. And in one case, the mother, uh, the mother and father, um, their son, who's a twin, has stopped talking to them. He has a baby who's about two years old, and he's about to have a set of twins. She's never met the grandchild, and she doesn't look like she's going to be meeting the next uh, set of grandchildren, the twins. He lives at home with his wife and his wife's family. So they've tried to work it out. She has tried to contact them. Her father tried to contact her son's um, in-laws, and they said, uh, you know, they didn't want to be bothered by it. He's very stressed. He's broken out. His entire face, she told me, is broken out in acne. He has suffered depression in the past. Uh, are these are, are any of these any clues to how this can be resolved? Well, it is such a tragic thing, and and that's the thing is that with families, you know, we are filled with imperfections. And nobody's going to get it all right all of the time. And so one of the sad things is that people are rejecting each other and they're not even giving each other an opportunity to to heal and talk and work through these things. They're just cutting each other off. And this is actually increasing in our society. We used to have, you know, families where we, you know, didn't always love what everybody did, but we still found a way to love each other. And we stood by them. What do you think when, when in-laws become involved? And so, so from what I gather, um, this woman apparently, she thinks she may have offended the future daughter-in-law. She wasn't a daughter-in-law at the time. By suggesting that instead of getting married after two weeks of meeting, that they maybe live together first. And so since then, she's been cut off. And her parents seem to be okay with this. Now, this patient was not invited to her son's wedding. So it started then. I know, and this is what's really sad. Is that it, And when, see, this is where it goes to this some sort of core of when people feel they're in some sort of loyalty conflict, then they feel they have to make a choice. And in this, what you're describing, the, the situation you're describing, it sounds like maybe the son in that case felt he had to make a choice. And... That's unfortunate. You know, we, we should
should be able to make room for people's uh, imperfections, and we should be able to find ways to work through those moments that we annoy or offend each other because in any significant relationship that we have, we will disappoint each other, we will annoy each other, and we will offend each other. And this is the problem. If we're looking to a solution where we just cut people out, that's just avoiding. That's not even dealing with the issues. Exactly. And in this case, where somebody who got so offended by what I actually think is pretty good advice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't marry somebody you met online after two weeks. Why don't you get to know them a little bit better? Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty good advice. For somebody to get that offended, would we look at her mental health? Well, is, what- is that a sign that maybe there's something there that maybe ego is involved or she has issues about how she feels about herself? Well, that it's a very black and white way of thinking. It's a very all or nothing, right? And so, but but the problem here is, that lies is in the relationships that the attachment that you have with your parents, whether you be a child or whether you be an adult child, you know, we all have attachment. It's based on how we attach to the people that we love in our lives and our family relationships. And potentially in this situation, the attachment was not strong enough to withhold that kind of pressure of somebody coming into the new system. Now, interestingly enough, when this uh, kid went off to college um, or off to university, he, the mom said, you know, I'd like you to check in with me every now and again, you know, just like keep contact or whatever. Well, this kid um, contacted her every single day. Uh, he was somebody who was on had a history of depression. He was on antidepressant medications and, and still is. And, and so they were actually quite close. He was not just close with his mother, but he was also close with his father. Now his parents have split up, but he was incredibly close, close to his grandparents. Mm-hmm. And they, he's cut off all ties, all family ties to the entire family. I just don't know how the the daughter-in-law and her family, they must be the coldest people on the planet, um, to that they can actually live with themselves. Well, it is sad. And I mean, in the end, a healthy relationship is about connection. So if you're partnering with somebody, you facilitate connection. And in fact, you can even improve the relationship that your partner has with their parents by you becoming a conduit of connection. But unfortunately, we have a bit of a society that's a little bit, shall we say, narcissistic sometimes and is more about division than connection. And we're seeing this in family relationships now. And we're seeing this on the increase, not just with adult children and their parents, but young children and their parents if they're going through some sort of divorce or whatnot, then often there's these situations where kids are being disconnected from their parents. And so... um, Is that emotionally and physically, or is that one or the other, the disconnection when they're young? Well, it's, you know, the best thing in life, one of the the biggest predictors of success and if you're going to do well in life, like it sounds like this young man is struggling with a lot of issues anyways, is that... One of the biggest predictors of success is going to be, you know, what kind of attachment do you have with your parents when you're young? Because that's going to determine how you attach to your 
own children and in your own relationships as an adult. It's a template. It's a template for the future. So when you have these situations, like the situation you're describing, um, this young man who was struggling anyways and for whatever reasons, you know, ended up finding his anchor with his new partner. Like, and he abandoned ship with his parents who he'd been very dependent upon and then put it all, like I said, it's a very all or nothing type of thinking. It's a very black and white type of thinking. And the antidote to that is developing critical thinking, developing ambivalence, the ability to hold on to both to say, you know, my mom kind of annoyed me when she made that remark, but you know, I love her and she's got my best intentions. And then helping your new partner understand that. Allison Jones, who is the President Clinical Director, Child and Family Therapist and a Divorce Specialist, is on the line with me. Her work as a clinical director and counselor and public speaker and parent educator, divorce coach and author enables her to touch the lives of many. And she is touching the lives this evening in talking about family estrangement. If you're just joining me now, talking about when children cut off communication Uh, from their parents or vice versa. And this can be one of the most heartbreaking situations, often not talked about, but as Allison said, it's on the rise. So Allison, we were talking about the patient I had in my clinical practice whose son cut, cut off all communication with her about five years ago. He didn't invite the parents or his grandparents, his siblings to the wedding. He's, she's never met the grandchild. And one of the things is that Although they were a uh, you know a lovely family, she said she and her husband had some financial challenges. The uh, the son you know the uh, the the mother and father of the son who doesn't speak to them. The woman he has married is quite well off. Her family is quite well to do. Uh, so I also had another patient in my clinical practice that I was thinking about recently, and he said that his son has gotten married recently, and he fail, he's divorced, and he said he always felt this guilt about, um, he could never work it out with his ex-wife, that instead of having, um, you know, the kids go to Thanksgiving at her house and then have Thanksgiving at his house, he always felt guilty that his children had to go to two houses for Thanksgiving. Some people have no house to go to at Thanksgiving. But he said, now that his son is married, there's a third place to go for Thanksgiving dinner. And his son also married somebody very well-to-do from a family who's very well-to-do. Um, so he feels he's lost his son because he doesn't Little things like he doesn't want to reach out um, and say, can you and your wife come to Thanksgiving dinner at our house? Because that would be a third Thanksgiving dinner. And and he feels like his son has is sort of also going away from him as a, as a dad and is becoming closer to the well-to-do family because they can provide vacations and bikes and trips and, you know, all, all these sorts of things. So what do you say about that do you think that you know when when a child marries somebody with more money uh does that influence well it can and and it is alluring right like if especially if people are looking for security or looking for a home base maybe when when they've had haven't had that feeling of a home base they've maybe had to share it. it can be very alluring and yes you know there is that part of us that want the shiny objects and the the things we want but in the end um you you know the the relationship you build there there is foundation there and although there might be this pressure on the relationship right now 
you find ways to reach out without heavy expectations, without creating loyalty conflicts, then you you have an invitation to come back. And sometimes we have to park our own expectations. And we just have to kind of go, you know, hey, you have a great Thanksgiving, but why don't you come over to our place the following weekend? You just look for those points of connection. It doesn't mean you have to accommodate everything, but it means you keep a warm welcome to to the people that you love. Right. So getting back to the other case, um, this particular woman would, she said, you know, she has written a letter to her son, you know, practically every day. She has run into him and she has chased after him and said, I love you. I miss you. And I want you back. And, um, why aren't you talking to me? And, you know, I love you. And, and he ignores her and that's happened on two or three occasions over five years. And what would you recommend? Uh, is there is there some thought that you know if we know we can have it we don't have to try so hard and well and there is a thing sometimes when we feel that you know we know that that relationship is there when we need it and you know we feel like we can kind of we don't necessarily take it you know we don't we do take it for granted right but and you pull upon it but the thing in that case is is maybe that mom is trying a little too hard and I don't mean you shouldn't you know create the invitation. But if, if somebody feels you're not respecting their boundaries, then they're going to put up more walls. So you want to really give strong messages, I do respect your boundaries. And that might be what that message for that mom needs to be at this point. One of the things I would say is that we have a lot of opportunities to, to turn this around. And there, there are ways. Sometimes just with time it comes back. Sometimes when children get involved when you have another generation and they want you to know their parents and they get over some of their stuff as they mature too, then it just kind of naturally goes back. But there's also times when it's really valuable and we can share and save a lot of time when we reach out and have a third party facilitate some restorative conversations and acknowledge boundaries and acknowledge the evolution of the relationship. Would the third party reach out to both parties? Does that ever happen? Yes, and that can that oh. can happen. It actually happens more and more. Like in our practice, more and more, we deal with young families that are struggling with some of these issues, but we also deal with adult families, you know, adult children, adult parents. And it's amazing how one or two restorative conversations where you have somebody that's skilled at helping them communicate can really clear up the air, establish some boundaries, and remind them of that love and unconditional love that is there. Wow. So would the, say, the mother in this situation, would she hire you to deal? Yeah, that's what they, if, if you can get the adult child to agree, saying, you know, I'd really like to have an opportunity to talk to you in a place that's safe, secure, confidential, and let's just sit down and have a conversation, and here's some people that can help us with this and increasingly in our practice we're doing that and having a lot of success with it so you really can turn these things down around and sometimes you do need the assistance of somebody that's neutral and a step back from the situation because in the situations you're describing nobody is neutral everybody right. has a position exactly 
Allison, thank you so much. That's great information. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Allison Jones, an associate. She is a registered clinical counselor. You can find her over in West Vancouver. Her website is allisonjones.ca. That's A-L-Y-S-O-N-J-O-N-E-S dot C-A. She is author of the phenomenal book, A New Philosophy for Exceptional Living More. Allison, it's been a pleasure having you on. It's great information. Okay, we're talking about the sex doll brothel. Um, Yes. So what do you think of this for people? You're an intimacy coach, and so you help uh, people, your clients, and you were working tonight, in fact, you told me. Um, (laughs) You you help your clients become more intimate with one another. Uh, Absolutely. And I certainly don't think that a a a toy doll is going to help you with intimacy. Oh, you don't. All right. Hang on. How about a toy vibrator? One second. Sherry is on the line. Hello, Sherry. Hi. (laughs) Calling from Carbon, Alberta. Yeah. Where's that? It's about um, 20 minutes west of Drumheller. Oh, nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. I live in the Badlands. In the Badlands. Oh, that's cool. I'd like to live in the Badlands. <laughs> 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 I like living bad. I'm a bad, I'm a good bad girl. <laughs> uh, so would you like to win my little prize that I brought home from wherever I was? <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. And it comes with my free book. <laughs> Oh, good. Okay, in case you want that, I'll throw that in the package for you. Okay, that's great. Well, I won't ask you why you want it because I know why. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly why. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Exactly, yes. (laughs) I do. For sure. Christmas. (laughs) It, it, It is. Merry Christmas. Absolutely. Yeah. And what better way to, uh, Show that, show, show the love. Anyway. No, no kidding. <laughs> well, enjoy that. Just hang on the line and uh, Andrew will grab your information and I'll send it off to you in the mail. Oh, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks uh, for listening to the show. I should be quite happy. You should be. Big smile on your face over the holidays. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. You're welcome. Take care. Okay, Amy, getting back to you now. Okay, so intimacy. Imagine if she was receiving a sex doll, a life-size sex doll instead of a sex toy. That cost me a lot of money. (laughs) I'm sure. It would change the whole interaction that she'd be having with the toy or with the partner. It it certainly should be. So what about for people who don't have a partner? What do you think of a a sex doll brothel in that uh, situation? I, I'm, I'd be more for a real person brothel so that they're actually practicing their skills, including communicating and connecting with another person. No, I think some of these sex dolls actually do talk. I think oh, they're lovely. programmed to speak and not, oh, to, and not to nag. Oh, <laughs> Apparently they don't nag. If they, <laughs> I'm going to develop a nagging program for them, though. No kidding, no kidding. <laughs> Um, and it's absolutely touch my hair. I wanted to say, don't touch my hair. Exactly. So, you know, some people, you know, they they claim using these um, or purchasing sex from sex doll brothels. They're looking for pure indulgence. This is absolute freedom and well, a way to make all fantasies reality. And that's the piece that's nice about it. So, there's people have uh, fantasies that would be really unhealthy to carry out with another person they can carry it out with a sex doll. And I think that's actually a healthy thing to do. But when it comes to actually practicing being intimate when you don't have a partner, I think it's more important to connect with flesh, with eye to eye, with breathing. So I'd be more inclined to send or somebody to a real brothel or suggest they go to a real professional 
so that there's actually another person that they're practicing with. But that would be me. What do you think about it, Maureen? Well, <laughs> that's why you're the guest tonight. I'm, <laughs> I'm asking you. Uh, you know, I... I'm I'm a bit mixed on it actually. I think that you know I'm I'm one of those people that is to each his own. You know I if you want to try this, go for it. Um, so I have I don't you know if you feel it's going to help your life, enhance your life in in whatever way, you know by all means. Um, I think it's 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 expensive. The dolls uh, rent for three hundred and fifty a night, and there's a five hundred dollar damage deposit. So it's really for um, the higher income earners, shall we say? Um, I think it's the way a little bit. I think it's the way of the world. The way advancing technology is entering every single aspect of our lives, including our intimate lives. So I I, I do think. On some level, too, that it is an opportunity to practice things or to, for people who are shy or uncomfortable um, to actually, you know, try that if they're – try a sex doll. And, and certainly they're, these are very popular. Wow. Around the world. Wow. Yeah. And, and they're, yeah. you know, they're coming to Vancouver. There's a rental agency in Kamloops. Um, I, you know. I, yeah, I heard there's one here. We'll have to go. Check it out. I think you can only go in. I can go for research for work. <laughs> I wonder if they have short plus sized dolls. I'm sure. I think they have all sorts of um, different shapes and sizes. I think they um, mimic, you know, real as, as much as possible real life women minus the nagging. <laughs> and do you think that, that Not, people being with a toy actually helps them practice to be with a real person? If they feel that it helps them, I feel that it helps them. It's t- completely up to them. Uh, what do you do you feel that it's a, a way to practice? Honestly, I don't. You don't. But do you, no. you you feel that it's a way to practice uh it's better to practice with another person. I think it's better to practice with another person, even fantasies. Um, but I understand that fantasies that, that somebody couldn't even express to another person or that, that they'd still be able to prof- uh, confess to a professional. But even, you know, a fantasy that they really needed to live out that would be dangerous, I can understand that, which is why they have a $500 deposit. <laughs> right, yes. I wonder, I think they probably cost a whole lot more than that, but I wonder if people feel that if they get caught with a sex doll, their marriage is not as at as much of a risk <laughs> as if they are caught with a sex worker. Right? Right. I, so the other thing is, although you can contract a sec, an STI from a sex doll, um, it, it's probably reduced, uh, especially if they adhere to good hygienic practices. Uh, it's probably less than with a sex worker as well. And, wow. and if it's not, I think people believe that it is. That, and that makes sense. And uh, I'm going to have to see these things, and, it, and there's a piece of it, honestly, that makes me sad because I'm here to help people connect with each other, and I'm, I think that connecting with a doll might end up making us feel lonelier after sex. Oh, for sure. And you might actually, you know, you, do you really want to go out with the guy who's actually his last three girlfriends were plastic? <laughs> <laughs> Not just Botox or fillers, but now plastic. So we're actually going to an entirely different. What's your recommendation, Amy, for people who want to, your number one recommendation for couples who want to increase the intimacy in their relationship? To stop talking so much, 
get into a hold where they're holding each other, one of them's holding each other from behind, and just be together. Just drop the conversation and just, mm-hmm, just breathe together, be together every day, share a hug, start your day with a hug, no talking. I'm in trouble. I'm a talker. Amy Culler. Thank you very much for <laughs> joining you, me on the program to talk about this somewhat controversial subject. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.